What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Most of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to Off The Chain, simply the best podcast in crypto. Let's kick this thing off. Roy Niederhofer has been a quantitative hedge fund manager for over 25 years. In 1993, Roy founded RG Niederhofer Capital Management, which invests in global public equity, fixed income, currency, and commodity markets. Roy's fund, which manages over $900 million today, has annualized returns of approximately 12%, outperforming the S&P and most other money managers. I learned a lot from this podcast, and I hope you enjoy it nearly as much as I did. Before we get started, I want to talk about one of our sponsors, BlockFi. These guys are doing really interesting work in crypto lending. What they allow you to do is keep your crypto, put it up as collateral, and receive a US dollar loan funded directly to your bank account. They do loans ranging from $2,000 to $10 million, and they're perfect for helping you reach your financial goals of all sizes. You should visit BlockFi.com POMP. Again, that's BlockFi.com POMP. Again, one more time, type it in BlockFi.com POMP if you'd like to learn more about putting your crypto to work without having to sell it. Definitely do it. Anthony Pompliano is a partner at Morgan Creek Digital. All opinions expressed by Pomp or his guests on this podcast are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Morgan Creek Digital or Morgan Creek Capital Management. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Pomp as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All right, guys, I'm here with Roy, who is uh, one of the legends of Wall Street. Um, he's laughing and rolling his eyes, but uh, but it is true. Uh, thank you so much for coming. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Tom. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, so let's go through uh, your background a little bit, because um, for those that don't know, and then we can talk about how you got into uh, crypto. Sure. So so I've been a Quan hedge fund manager for uh, about 25 years. I started in 93, my own company called RG Niederhofer Capital Management. And we've been running a, a future strategy that is meant to provide downside protection and absolute return. And that's been the core of my career all the way through. And in uh, 2017, we launched a version of that strategy that instead of sitting on top of the US dollar, sits on top of uh, a core investment in uh, cryptocurrencies. So we're, uh, while that we're fairly new in this fund space, my uh, background in crypto goes back to about 2011. Wow, 2011. What, um, what, what originally caught your eye about crypto or how did you discover it and, and kind of get interested? I, I actually remember exactly where I was when I learned about crypto because it was like a lightning bolt hit me. I, <laughs> I was reading uh, an article on Wired Magazine called The Rise and Fall of Bitcoin. And Bitcoin had gone from nothing essentially to 22 or whatever and then down to two or three and everyone thought it was over a little bit like today and the uh the article talked about the security it talked about fungibility your coins aren't in one place they're all over the world and this thing called the blockchain but what really interested me was the idea that this was a form of money with a fixed supply Mm -hmm. And it, that was when the lightning bolt hit me. I said, holy cow, this is actually a new technology with the quality of all new tech that actually seems to make the tech catch on. Now, in most cases, that, uh, that, that, uh, the thing that the, that the tech has that makes it catch on has to do with mating or, or sex. And that's been true for video. It's been true for the internet. We all remember what AOL was used for at the beginning. 
And it's even true for things like writing and speaking, you might say, that it helps you find a mate. But in this case, it wasn't that. It was something else. And it was a problem that has plagued humanity throughout its history, which is how do you take your stuff from place to place if you've got a lot of it? And in the case of Bitcoin, this was a way to have your property and not have to worry about having it be there wherever you end up far away from where you are now. And used to be you had to sew your diamonds into the lapels of your clothing or put your gold in a suitcase and try to carry it. But if you have a lot, you can't really carry it. So Bitcoin had as its real uh, killer app, it was asset transfer. Mm -hmm. How do you think Bitcoin wealth transfer transaction, kind of all of the elements of it as an actual currency store value medium exchange type asset plays into more of the global economy? Well, I think the the use of Bitcoin is of money is very you know, it's it's very good as a form of money. You can transact in it almost trivially. In fact, it's it's almost uh, you have to be extremely careful when you're transacting because it is so easy to transact. You can send ten million dollars on in a matter of a few minutes and for almost no money compared to wire transfer, where if you're lucky, you can do that in a couple of days with a bank. So. As, as a form of international value transfer, it's very effective. I'm not sure that that's the thing that makes it most interesting to me today. What I've realized over the course of time is that the, the really unique feature of crypto, and in particular of the largest cryptos, is that it's a store of value with a fixed supply. Now, there are other forms of that as well. But what makes it unique is that it has layered on top of it a financial ecosystem. You can make more Bitcoin once you have Bitcoin, just the way you can make more dollars by investing your dollars, by lending them out to people, by buying stocks denominated in dollars, by trading alternatives. You can do the same thing with Bitcoin. And that is a first in the history of civilization. Why is the fixed supply so important given for you know, decades, the fiat system with the ability to print more has generally worked, right? I, I think we've been living in a rather benign time. Okay. I, I like to study history and this particular topic really has led me to conclude that I don't think there's ever been a 200 year period where a fiat currency has been has not been debased by the issuing authority. You can go all the way back to Roman times. There was a currency called the denarius, which is a name that sounds unfamiliar, but if you think of the word denaro or the, uh, the dirham in, uh, in the Emirates, these are literally the same word. It was, became a synonym for money. The denarius was like a, the global currency back then. When it was first issued, it was 99 plus percent pure silver. That was around the year zero. By 250 or so years later, it was worth about 0.15% silver. So even an asset-backed currency, the government couldn't stop themselves from issuing too much of it. And maybe we can even attribute the, the decline and fall of the Roman Empire to issuing too much currency. But if you go forward, you think about maybe 100 years ago, in 1900, let's say, where would you put your money? What currencies would you have been if you're a global investor? Well, you had the U.S., of course, and maybe you had 
Japan was a little bit interesting back then, and you probably had Prussia and Russia and the UK and France and, and uh, Austria-Hungary. In almost every one of these cases, over the next 20 or 30 years, let alone the next 120, you had enormous debasement. You see what happens in Venezuela recently, where the only currency is essentially a cryptocurrency. There was an article in the Times that said everyone has crypto miners in, in, in uh, Caracas. Um, we saw it in Venezuela, I, I, sorry, in uh, Zimbabwe. I remember paying for lunch and receiving $10 trillion in change for lunch. And so another way to think about it is that typically when you think about yen or Turkish lira or the old Italian lira, all these currencies started out worth about the same as a US dollar. But most of them are not anymore. And usually if there's a word new attached, there's been 10 million or plus percent uh, inflation. So this has happened over all long periods of time. And I think it's eventually going to happen in the US. Why do I think that? I think the US has made promises to its people that we can't meet. Um, <clears throat> there's about $200 trillion in unfunded Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid commitments. We're going to have $50 trillion of national debt soon. Tax revenues are going to be 100% devoted to those three things and service on the debt in about 10 years. That's it. There's going to be no other way to raise money, uh, no other use for money, because it's all going to go to that. So I think the only solution, even for the US, is going to be to print money. And I see cryptocurrency as a way to take the take a bet to make an investment in something that does not have that vice that over every 200 year period in human history has led to currency debasement. Let's talk more about the U.S. issues right now, right? Because I don't think people I think they all hear, you know, whether it's Ray Dalio's or whoever saying, oh, there, there's issues, there's issues. But they actually don't understand them. Right. What, what do you think are the one or two dominoes that will apply the pressure that could cause the scenario, right? Because I think it's a probability, right? And, and some people think it's a high probability, some think it's low probability, but but it's a non-zero chance. What are those dominoes that, that kind of fall first? Well, I don't think it's necessarily a domino. Okay. I think it's actually the nature of our system. In a democracy, those that are owed benefits from the government are going to have a lot of political power. So I think the, and we've seen it in people that are really trying to solve the social security problem. We could have done it 20 or 30 years ago, but we didn't have the political will. But what, what I mean by that is there were enough voters who were willing to say, you know what, I'm going to take a small loss now because the next generation is going to take a much bigger loss unless I take my small loss of my social security, of my Medicaid, my Medicare. But I don't think it's possible in a democracy for the people who are owed these benefits to vote themselves out of the benefits. So we have either two options. We're either going to default on these, which would mean that government will be immediately thrown out and another government that makes bigger promises will be voted in, or we're going to fulfill those promises, but it's going to be in currency that's worth a lot less. So I think what happens is eventually the inflation adjustment goes away or becomes smaller and somehow those dollars that we have to that we owe our people are going to be paid back and they're going to be worth less. And when that happens, that will be a time when having a fixed supply form of money is going to be pretty interesting. Now, one of the things I like to talk about is, well, what about gold? We already have some fixed supply forms of value store. 
Um, I like to tell this story. Maybe you heard me say this before in a conference, but um, right across the street from where we are now is Grand Central Station. In Grand Central Station, there's a restaurant called the Oyster Bar, which is a remnant of hundreds of oyster bars that were all around New York City. And every one of these had the same deal. It was called the Canal Street Plan. For five cents, you got all the oysters you could eat and all the oysters, all the beer you can drink for just a nickel. Now, if you want to go to the oyster bar and get that's, that. That's dangerous. That, right. That's a great deal. I mean, think about it. Maybe four or five dozen oysters, four or five beers for, for nickel. And now, you know, if you try to do that at the, uh, at the oyster bar right across the street, maybe you can do that for 200 bucks. So how much is the dollar devalued in real oyster terms? Mm-hmm. Quite 90, a lot. Right. 99.97% or something like that. Mm-hmm. But if you could have kept your oysters all this time you still have your same four dozen oysters and your four or five bottles of beer sitting there and it's the same value. You didn't grow your money. Same thing with gold. If you had gold back then, let's say you had an ounce of gold, it's still worth about the same as it was then. In fact, as it was in the year zero, you could buy about one great man's suit of clothing. You used to mm-hmm. outfit a soldier for an ounce of gold mm-hmm. in a suit of armor, a suit of a soldier wear. And uh, that's basically true today. Mm-hmm. What, what is, uh, gold's like about twelve hundred bucks or so, I think, right? And, mm-hmm. and basically, the, the you know saying is a fine man suit is about twelve hundred bucks. Yeah, exactly, right? exactly. <laughs> and that's been true for thousands of years. Mm-hmm. So even gold, it keeps your value, mm-hmm. but it doesn't give you more. And you know, I kept thinking to myself, why was my oyster story wrong? You know, what? Yes, the dollar got devalued by the Fed, the Fed over the, the course of time. But you still would have done better to have your money in the stock market. Mm-hmm. And if you pick the right stock market. It, it, explain why that is, though. Well, the stock market real rate of return is 6 7 8% a year above inflation. Now, in nominal terms, it's much higher. But the problem is, at the same time, the dollar went down 99.97%. So let's just use easy numbers. Let's say the stock market's returning 10% annually, right? But the currency's being uh, devalued 2% a year through inflation. Right, Basically, exactly. it's net 8% exactly. increase in your wealth if you're in the stock market. Exactly. Yeah. So my point is that if you can have a fixed asset, if you could somehow invest your oysters and make more oysters, if you can invest your gold and make more gold, all you need is six, seven percent, and you would have outperformed the stock market in the mm-hmm. greatest period of stock market growth in human history. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, you had to get it right. You had to get the U.S. stock market. You might have invested also in Austria-Hungary. Well, that didn't work so well. You lost a hundred percent. Happened in France. It happened in Germany. I mean, where would you have invested your money mm-hmm. that? kept its value. And there's only a couple of countries that are essentially still around that you didn't lose 100% from from just 120 years. We're in a world that seems very benign right now. But if you look further out and people managing intergenerational wealth, pension funds, institutions, endowments, they're looking three, four, 500 years out in the future. And it seems to me that there's a very high probability that we're going to see currency debasement. And if I'm right about that, any sort of real rate of return that you can get on a fixed supply asset is going to be really valuable. And to me, that's what crypto offers. And that's the killer app for blockchain. It's what makes crypto, I believe, something that everyone needs to have in their portfolios. What's the timeline? Right. If you if you 
and again, I don't think it's a binary. It's going to happen on this year. But what's the general? Are we talking two years, five years, 20 years? Where do you think this kind of starts to really the average American feels the pressures of this happening? Like it might not be for 20 or 40 years. Okay, so you think it's longer term than two years? Right, right. Okay, right. got it. But that's not my, that's not why I'm bullish on, let's say, Bitcoin today. Mm-hmm. I think there will eventually be a growing realization that these problems are coming down the pike five, 10, 15 years out. And in 50 years, they're going to be completely insurmountable and we're just in, we're in dire trouble. And once that realization occurs, then you're going to see institutions coming in and putting one, two, three, five percent of their money just in case this scenario takes place because there are going to be great ways to make money using crypto. There are already ways to get two, three, five, eight percent by lending it out. There are ways to invest. We have ICOs already that that allow you to essentially invest in equities. And what we do is allow people to invest in futures and get an enhancement to their Bitcoin holdings and their crypto holdings with futures. Let's talk a little bit about futures. Because I actually think uh, we've done like kind of the options 101, et cetera, on, on previous episodes. Um, but futures is something people have heard about. They shake their head, yep, I know exactly what that is, and they've got no clue. What is a futures contract and how do they work? A futures contract is really simple. It's just an agreement to buy or sell something in the future instead of today, at some point, weeks, months, years out. Who uses a futures contract? Let's say you're a farmer and you're growing soybeans. And you know that if you can sell your soybeans for 13 cents a bushel, then you're going to have a profitable year. And let's say someone else is a, uh, a cattle rancher, and they, they want to feed their cattle those same soybeans, and they know that they can make money at 13 cents a bushel also and have a great year. But the problem is the soybean harvest isn't now, it's next November. So what do you do? A futures contract basically says the farmer will sell those soybeans at the current price for delivery in November. The rancher is going to buy those soybeans at the current price and take delivery in November. So basically, it's just a transaction in the future that you're agreeing to now. And we make that kind of thing all the time. We make, we make those kind of agreements in real life all the time. The futures market is just a place where people can come together and have very liquid and uh, readily uh, obtainable counterparties for this type of transaction. Got it. Now, the, just just to continue a little bit, yep. the value of one of the of a futures transaction is that you don't actually have to sell or buy the whole thing right now. You merely put up a small amount of capital now, and only at the end do you have to put up the full amount. Typically, in the case of soybeans, it might be one or two percent of the value. One problem with Bitcoin futures, which work exactly the same, is that you have to put up 40, 50, even 100 or more percent of the value of your Bitcoin, which means if you're trying to hedge, like if you're a farmer trying to sell, if in the case of Bitcoin, it would be if you're a hodler and you're trying to lock in a current price, well, 
for you, you have to put up the whole value of your position. That doesn't really help you. So it hasn't really been a, a market that's developed for, for crypto futures. Mm -hmm. But for every other commodity, margin rates are one, two, five percent. And it's these are enormous markets, very often bigger than the cash markets. Mm -hmm. What's the general take on Wall Street right now around Bitcoin and cryptocurrency? Right? We, we, we've talked a bunch about uh, the institutional world, meaning more like pensions, endowments, et cetera, uh, with, with other uh, fund managers. But what's the take on like true classic Wall Street? I've found that there's often a generational view that the younger you are, the more likely you are to see this as, a, as something that is transformational, to see crypto as transformational. I think there tends to be a political divide. I think people that believe in the goodness and power of government to make society better tend to feel that centralized institutions like central banks do a better job than decentralized institutions, people that are more libertarian and believe in the power of the individual and the importance of having an individual making their own decisions tend to appreciate the uh, the value of crypto. So I would say that rather than it being just traditional Wall Street versus other people, uh, that, those are more of the, uh, the divides that I've seen. Now, that having been said, everyone on Wall Street is talking about it, recognizes that this might be a thing in the future. There are some people that are just all in on it, and we've seen Novogratz and people like me that have just been evangelists for this along from years and years ago. And there are people that are complete bears and say, you know, this technology is not proven. It's too volatile. It's too unsafe. Back in 2014, I heard there was a drug deal that was denominated in crypto, so therefore I can't be involved in it. Um, at the, of course, these people are the same people carrying dollar bills that of which 90 percent have traces of cocaine on them, <laughs> which is true of all dollar bills, not just those their dollar bills. <laughs> <laughs> All right, before we continue with this conversation, I want to mention our sponsor again, BlockFi. Remember, they do crypto lending. So you post your crypto as collateral, they give you a US dollar loan, and you can use the US dollars to do whatever you want. You should visit BlockFi.com slash pomp and then tweet at me that you went. If you tweet at me after you went to BlockFi.com slash pomp, maybe I'll throw you a like, a smiley face, or the fire emoji. The fire emoji is the best. Remember, go to BlockFi.com slash pomp and I'll see you on Twitter. It, it, it seems the generational thing is more obvious than maybe the political thing, right? Where, um, you know, I joke with people and I say, when we get into these institutional rooms and we start talking to folks, there's like, hey, let's close the door. And there's a little bit more anarchist type view than I think people would publicly let on. And not in a like, let's burn the world, but in a there's probably questions we should be asking that maybe are or, or previously sacred cows, right? And and they weren't popular to ask or they weren't politically correct to ask. But now, like, there's some cracks in the armor and people are saying, wait a minute, what about X or Y or Z? That's institutional world, though. Is the same thing happening on Wall Street or is it just people benefit from the system and, and they love the system because they're the ones benefiting from it and, and they you know aren't interested in the questions or, or even the answers? I think inevitably, anytime you have a large business, there is interaction and overlap between government and business. Mm -hmm. That's just been the, especially in, in any sort of democracy where corporations are able to influence elections by lobbying or, or, or other ways, 
or you have regulators going back and forth. I mean, if you imagine the SEC, the people that are pro-crypto in the SEC may have a job waiting for them in a great crypto hedge fund in, in 20 years. So there mm-hmm. might be more, uh, there might be eventually, as there have been in, in all other fields, the uh, this back and forth between the regulators and the authorities will be a very benign force. But for now, that force is to benefit the existing institutions. So I think crypto certainly is a is a threat to central banking. I think if you know if you're a government uh, uh, in the treasury, if you're in a central bank, you have to worry about your ability to issue money. If suddenly people are able to go into an alternative to your currency, I think one of the reasons. Oh, and, and there's some other reasons, technical reasons. Like imagine if there were going to be negative interest rates, the way there are many places around the world right now. It's very hard to prevent people from putting their money from their bank accounts, instead putting it under their pillow. Because instead of losing a percent a year in your bank, you can not lose and essentially have zero return under your pillow. So why not do that? But if there's no currency, if there's no cash currency, then there's, uh, there's no alternative. Crypto represents an alternative to that. And as a result, it represents something that central banks need to think about if they're considering negative interest rates. And so there's a whole bunch of issues that are going on, right? You guys have been in business for, what, 25 years? 26 years. years, right? yeah. 26 years. First of all, congratulations. That's, Thank you. that's pretty epic. Uh, how big is the business today? And then how big is the crypto business, right? Maybe just as a percentage. And, and do you see that growing quickly? Is that kind of plateauing? What's the general interest that you're seeing, um, given that we are in a, uh, this is uh, end of November 2018, where we've just drawn down you know 75% or so in, uh, in the crypto markets? So my business is, uh, is mostly non-crypto. Mm-hmm. I have about uh, 500, plus under, 500 million plus under management. And the crypto fund is just, you know, just over about 15 right now. Mm-hmm. And what's happened is that we have positioned ourselves as among the most downside protective of hedge funds. So our future strategy is becoming very interesting in a world where we're seeing central banks reducing the size of their balance sheet for the first time in 10 years. And it may be that this great uh, burst of liquidity from the central banks that has floated everyone, stocks and bonds up for the last 10 years with tremendous declines in volatility seems to be on it flipped on its head right now. In October, we saw stocks and bonds down in a huge burst of vol. And that may be caused by the fact that for the first time, central banks are reducing their balance sheets. Certainly in the future, we have to consider that the world of quantitative easing, which was the world of the last 10 years, may be going the other way. So what's happened is that the main strategy has actually gotten a lot more interesting. And of course, we're layering that on top of crypto. The problem for people is that crypto is down 70%. It's, it's scary to buy something when it's down 70%. So what we're seeing now are people that are just thinking about the asymmetry of the trade. This has been my, my core thesis for a long time. I could be really wrong about what I'm, of everything I've just said. And you know, basically, I'm making the claim that at some point, Cryptocurrency, and I think the largest cryptos, and perhaps even Bitcoin in particular, are going to achieve reserve currency-like market caps. So those are denominated in the tens of trillions. So if you think about it, the U.S. 
has to get up to 200, you know, 200 trillion is what we owe our people. U.S. money supply right now is in the tens of trillions. So our thought is, well, if crypto becomes an alternative to the U.S. dollar, then it also will go up, let's say, 1,000x from here. But I could be really wrong about that. What are the chances that I'm really wrong? If the chances are you know, 80% that I'm wrong, you have a 20% chance of making, let's say, 100 to 1,000x. That's an incredibly high expectation trade. Uh, in, in the, if you just think about any bet that you'd make, it's, I wouldn't call it a lottery ticket. I, I think there is a, a tens of percent chance that I'm correct about everything I've said so far. And if I am, you're in, in an investment that's going to go up more than any possible investment that you can make. Stock market can't go up 100 to 1,000 times in real value. It might do it in nominal value if the dollar depreciates, but not on real value. We, we talk a lot about um, what other asset that has $60 billion in market cap has 50 to 100x in it over the next 10 years. Now, low, pro- low probability that, that happens, right, in terms of percentages, but high possibility of it occurring, mm-hmm. right? And... I just can't think of another asset that even comes close. Right? It's, not, it's not even like, oh, there's another one that's only going to do 10x. I can't think of another one that has real possibility of doing that in 10 years. Right. And in addition to enormous liquidity that you can buy into today mm-hmm. that you can trade on, get out of on a, day, on a day's or even hour's notice that has, in addition, the safest Blockchain, and I mean, in case of Bitcoin, it literally is secured by the largest computer network in the world that has been hack proof for what are we at 10 years now mm-hmm. and has this beautiful anti fragility, as Taleb says. The idea that the more it is tested, the stronger it gets, mm-hmm. and instead of just being resistant, it actually improves every time someone tries to. Impunity in some way, hacking the blockchain, the 51% attack, password problems, um, denial of service attacks, whatever it is, it gets stronger and stronger and stronger. So those qualities make this a pretty interesting investment, just as a, a, a store of value, as is you know where you can get a few percent of return right now. But you have the possibility, as we've discussed, for 100 to 1,000x if this larger thesis that I have comes true. Absolutely. Um, What in the future are you looking forward to when it comes to Bitcoin and crypto, right? It sounds like there's some crypto specific stuff and there's things outside of crypto that could be positive catalysts for crypto itself. There's clearly a move in institutions to, as you say, get off zero, to get some knowledge first to study it and then to make some investments. Right now, it's a few percent at the, at the high end and half a percent, a, a tenth of a percent, just people getting their feet wet. But it's coming. And it's been the family offices that we found that really are the most out front. And that's very typical, as, uh, as we've seen with alternative investments. We've seen my, my field is managed futures. So the managed futures field, it was always the individuals and the family offices first. Then the institutions started to come in in the late 90s and 20 years on, almost everybody has managed futures. I think that's the way it's going to be with crypto. So over the long term, we do see that happening, that sovereign wealth funds will probably be among the last, although we've actually heard that one is buying it now. Um, so the uh, 
the entry into institute of institutions into the market is a big deal. The growth of liquidity and custody. Um, if you think about where that money is going to go, it's probably not going to go into coin number 16 and coin number 30 in market cap. You can't really trade those. It's going to be into Bitcoin. And then maybe from Bitcoin, which is like the US dollar reserve currency of the crypto space, everything is priced in Bitcoin. Well, maybe people go into the smaller coins from there. So I think Bitcoin in particular is very interesting because of its liquidity and serves as a price, pricing standard. It's important. It's, it's, it's interesting because of the security of its blockchain relative to the others. Um, so I think that it is particularly attractive. And so that theme, the concentration of Bitcoin relative to other currencies, I think, continues. Got it. What's the greatest risk in your mind? Is it something that's regulatory? Is it something that is more, it breaks the story? Is it an engineering you know, type attack or, or in the software? Where does that risk come from? I think there are a lot of risks. Okay. And it, 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 you, I'm, we, I'm sure you've discussed it before with many other guests, but what, why wouldn't you want to invest in Bitcoin? Well, number one, it's too volatile. You just lost 70% from the high. Now, in fairness, it went up a billion percent, but it's down 70. So that's scary. Um, it's illiquid. It, you can't really put a billion dollars to work in Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. Soon you will be, but right now maybe it's only 100 million. So if you're really serious about it, like a big sovereign wealth fund, it's not like you can invest in, in yen or mm -hmm. in euro. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's too illiquid. There are no derivatives markets. So in, in my mind, that's actually a cause of the volatility. Um, the, the, the derivatives markets that exist have custody issues a little bit and have liquidity issues a little bit. But again, that's all going to change. It's, it seems unsafe. It's hard to custody. Yeah, I get that. We have Fidelity already in. We have Gemini. We have plenty of people in the next year that are going to come in and solve that problem. It's possible there could be a 51% attack. And remember, 51% attacks are you don't just own the blockchain if you have 51%. You're only going to be able to mess around with future transactions. And to do that, you've got to have much more than 51%. You've got to have like 80% or 90%. So we're talking maybe four times the largest computer network in the world. And yeah, that's possible, I suppose, but pretty unlikely. Mm -hmm. there's, there's, I think I calculated a million computers mining Bitcoin. And those are all ASIC computer, yep. you know, all ASIC machines. So it'd be a pretty big effort to do that. And it would be obvious if someone's trying. So I think that's less of a risk. And on and on. We can just, it is true that in 2012, some people did some nefarious things using Bitcoin, probably without realizing that a publicly transparent blockchain is the last place you should be buying drugs rather than the first place you should be buying drugs. You're much better in cash than you are on a public blockchain where one transaction that somebody you transacted with that could be identified suddenly brings the trail right back to you. And of course, they're catching everybody now. So mm -hmm. that turned out to be pretty silly. And, uh, you know, again, the association with nefarious activity is a thing of 2010 when people didn't really understand what was going on. So to me, just in general, all of these objections are potentially valid are interesting objections, but they are also the reason that the price of crypto and the price of the largest cryptos are as low as they are. The flip side of everything I've just said and all the other objections is that therein lies the opportunity. 
that's why you can get in at 3,500 and not 3.5 million. Where I think this is going. <laughs> it, it, it is. Uh, it's the classic. Uh, Mark Yusko says it all the time, right? He's like, people will. Um, they buy. Uh, what what do you say? He says uh, they buy what they should have bought and they sell what they're about to need. Right? Right. And it's the human emotion of, of this, um, which is uh, which is pretty crazy to watch play out, you know, as uh, as you get deeper and deeper in this market and you and you see that it's really retail driven right now. And, and you know, the price really does reflect that uh, that, that emotional swing. Absolutely. The people are anchored to 20,000. And boy, does that seem scary that you went from 20,000 to 3,500. But you also you went from 20,000 to 3,500. And. Now it's on sale if you really mm-hmm. believe the story. And again, mm-hmm. Roy Niederhofer could be completely wrong about this. And three years from now, I'll listen to this podcast and just facepalm and say, <laughs> what the heck was I thinking to be so bullish on this? Or 20 years from now. Yep. But again, there's a, it's all probability bet. There's, a, I'd say, 10, 20, 30% chance that the 100 to 1,000 X story happens. And mm-hmm. that, to me, is the most asymmetric trade I'm going to see in my lifetime. Yep. The miracle is that Bitcoin got from one ten thousandth of a cent to thirty five hundred dollars and all this money pouring into the technology of crypto is is going to solve all of the problems. And another quick story I like to tell everyone says, well, you know, there's there's so much speculation and that's bad because it creates volatility. I always remind people that the first speculator and the value of speculation is, some, is a story that we all know, but most people don't think of it as a story about speculation. And it's actually the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis. So Joseph, as you may recall, got a great tip that it was going to be seven fat years followed by seven lean years. And so what did he do? Armed with this tremendous insider information, he bought up all the grain he could find and stored it. Just like people used to do with pork bellies, by the way, it was the same trade in uh, in Chicago, and uh, he stored it in his granaries, and then he sold it back out to the market for seven years and saved the kingdom and became a very important guy. But if you think about it, what happened? What was his influence on the price of grain? For seven years, he was buying it up when there was a lot of grain, and then for seven years, he was selling it when the price was high because it was scarce. So he reduced the volatility of grain. That's what speculators do. It's what's happened in every other market. And the more derivatives that come out, the more it becomes safer to put your money at these custody locations and trade derivatives, the less volatile this thing is going to get and the safer it's going to be as an investment and the more valuable it's going to be because of that. Because you don't want your store value going up and down 50%. Absolutely. Um, before we wrap up, I usually do rapid fire questions. Uh, what do you think is the most important company in crypto? State Street. State Street, because of the custody and the name right. brand? When a name brand custodian really comes in and figures out how to do this. I love that answer. Uh, no, no one has said that before. Um, if you could wave any, uh, if you wave a magic wand and you could change any regulation or improve one, what would it be? The taxation of crypto is so complicated that it creates an undue regulatory burden. That's fair. Uh, Most important book you've ever read? Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman. Not Ah. about investing, but if you read it with the view of taking every sentence as an investment tip, it'll change your life as it did mine. Really? 
Hmm, no one said that before. Um, ask one non-crypto question and then you could ask me a question to end it. Uh, the non-crypto question is just admit that there's aliens that exist. We always think of aliens as human comparables, right? You see it in sci-fi and movies, etc. Do you think there's alien animals or alien pets? I think given the enormous number of stars in the universe, every possibility for, you know, there are probably aliens with pets on pets on pets of pets of pets, of, <laughs> you know, pets to the infinite. You know, you're talking about infinite numbers, essentially. So all the possibilities are, are for sure. And, you know, I, I, I actually take pretty seriously this uh, this idea that the probability that we're living in a simulation is, is rather high. I haven't quite come down to it, but I think that's an interesting question. So I won't go too deep into that topic. <laughs> into space aliens. Well, well what, I, what I will say, though, is um, there is a higher probability of the simulation then most people are comfortable identifying, let alone admitting to themselves. The part that cracks me up, no matter what you and I think, we will never know. That's right. It doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> right? And so I, I said to somebody one time, if, we're, if we live in the simulation, then you want to be the person who won the game. Yep. <laughs> right. That's right. Well, I mean, it's like the concept of free will. I mean, if we don't have free will, it appears that we do. So why not just pretend that we do? Take it. <laughs> for sure. Um, what one question uh, you got for me? What's the most exciting thing on your mind right now? The most exciting thing on my mind. Um, oh, I can't believe I'm about to say this out loud. So uh, for about a third of my life, um, I have been intentional about reading, writing, learning, etc., around a whole host of topics that are all culminating in a single decision. A lot of that's around investing, data, psychology, economics, sociology, etc. So I studied economics, sociology in college, and. They are simplified in some very easy quotes, right? And I actually tweeted this yesterday, uh, but I didn't. I'll, I'll go further with it. So things like uh, buy when there's blood in the streets, be greedy when others are fearful, right? Uh, don't sell the things that are on sale, right? Um, you know, those types of uh, kind of anecdotal statements mm -hmm. that are very descriptive in simplistic terms of much, much more complex ideas is all culminating in this asymmetric trade around Bitcoin. And the last one that I lumped in with those three or four quotes was concentration builds wealth and diversification preserves wealth. And so if you can wrap your head around, okay, there's a psychological thing that's happening. And then you can wrap your head around the asymmetry of the outcome, right? And the risk reward opportunity, et cetera. And you also buy into concentration builds wealth thought process. You should actually do things that 99% of other people will think are too risky, insane, etc. You have to be comfortable being wrong. And for some of yourself or, or, or myself, 
possibly being very wrong in public. And I don't think there's that many people in the world who can understand, get to that point, understand the trade of the, the financial trade and also the reputation trade and still pull the trigger. And I'm looking around the room and, and you know the, virtual, the, the global room and I'm saying it should be like 10 or less, right? 20 or less. So it is some small number of people who are going to be able to point back five, 10 years from now and say, I identified it, I understood it, I made an intentional action, and here was the outcome, positive or negative, and there will be careers built on this, and there will be careers destroyed on this one on this one situation. I don't know who it is, I don't know what exactly the, the impact of it is, but I think it's gonna be really, really interesting to look back in five, 10 years from now. I think that's a great way to say it. I, I think, by the way, I think those people are the most interesting people in the world who have a long list of things that I believe that most people don't believe. Mm-hmm. And you can learn a lot from them. I think having a few or as many bets like that in a lifetime is a great way to live one's life. And I think one of the greatest bits of wisdom in investing is the stock market climbs a wall of worry. And the more you're worried, about the reasons not to <clears throat> invest in Bitcoin, the more that's scary, the, the harder it is to pull the trigger, the more it makes your stomach hurt. That is absolutely the time to be long these things. And the time that you are dancing on the table because you're so clever, that is the time to get the heck out. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'll leave you with one last one. Uh, again, Mark, uh, who I've learned a lot from, said, uh, uh, yesterday, he, he said this quote, he goes, uh, anytime you make a, an investment and you feel really comfortable, there's a higher probability you're going to lose money. Anytime you make an investment and you're sick to your stomach, higher probability you're about to make money. Right. And I, and I do think that there's, you know, there, there's a hint of truth in that statement um, ar- around the uh, the non-consensus right thought process is uh, usually a, a, a really, really good place to be if you can get comfortable there. Yeah, which may explain why I have a stomachache this morning. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Thank you so much. This is awesome. Thanks. We'll have to do this again. See you soon. All right. You reached the end of the podcast. Congratulations. I appreciate you listening all the way to the end. You deserve a trophy. But before I hand out the virtual trophies, remember to go visit BlockFi.com slash POMP. They're the crypto lending leader in the US. They do it in 45 states, interest rates as low as 8%. And you can use the US dollars funded directly to your bank account to do whatever you want. You should definitely go visit BlockFi.com slash POMP. You know you want to do it. So just do it. BlockFi.com slash POMP. Hey everyone, Pop here. If you like this episode of Off The Chain and want to help us take crypto to the top of the Apple, Spotify, and other podcast charts, please do us a favor and rate, review, and subscribe. To review, simply go to the Off The Chain homepage, scroll down until you see the five blank stars. Taking 15 seconds to fill those stars in and leave a quick review goes a long way in helping us take the entire crypto ecosystem to the top of the charts. I appreciate you listening and see you next time on Off The Chain.